Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Stay ahead of the game and advance your career with continuous learning opportunities for Azure cloud professionals. Solveto, EduHouse, learning as a lifestyle. Start your journey now on eduhouse.fi slash cloudpro. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. What I've been doing lately, I've been thinking more on working from home versus working from an office. So I've mentioned it in, in this show a couple of times. I have a home office. It's quite nice. Allows me to easily get into a flow state. So it's this room I am sitting in right now. Um, but at the same time, I do have an actual office for the company. And this past week, it turns out there's a sort of a spare room. So there's a room, there's some furniture in. It's not really used at all. It's quite spacious. It has natural light flooding the room. So I figured I could repurpose the room to, to become an actual office with desks and stuff. I like the idea. But the more I think about it now, I'm like, yeah, I would have an office, but would I actually go there? I don't enjoy the idea of commuting in the morning and then commuting back in the afternoon and not really have all of my stuff there. So obviously I could bring my PC and my MacBook and stuff like that there, but I wouldn't have my fridge and my laundry and my dishwashing machine that I typically <laughs> collaborate throughout the day. So that's what I've been up to lately. Yeah, I guess that's the going back to an office now. Uh, you're going to miss out on doing all the household chower, chores in the uh, in the short breaks you have. So I, I, for me, I think. Uh, Maybe in the previous episode, I, I mentioned I was ordering a beer or beverage or wine cooler that you bury in the soil, uh, which really sits underground beneath your like lawn, if you will. So that's now on its way. So it's it's really that's the must have. That's really a nice to have. That's more like I, I want to have, for no obvious reason other than you know it's more sustainable to not plug in electricity to cool whatever beverages you have. So I think I'll have a project over the weekend to figure out how to dig a perfectly cylindrical hole without an auger or a hand auger, I think it's called, because uh, I don't have the tools necessary, or I just rent that tool for a day and I, I get it done. So that's going to be my weekend project to see if I can get that done. And then I also found some solar-powered LED lights, and I could order an optional transparent lid to this thing as well. So now there's going to be a transparent lid. So when you walk in the lawn, you're going to be able to see down into the wine cooler or the beer cooler, whatever you put in there. And these solar-powered LED lights are strips I can put on the inside and with a, just a small, tiny solar thing that, that catches the sun rays during the day. Then during the evenings and during the night, this thing will light up, hopefully. It's the, uh, it's the idea. So yeah, that's my weekend project. That sounds awesome. And here I am sitting and thinking, yeah, a transparent lead, LED lights in Helsinki. We are sort of waiting for snow already. So, <laughs> so I know if I had one of those, I would just have it under a pile of snow and it would slowly heat the snow. <laughs> it would melt. It would drain the whole thingy. But it sounds like an awesome idea, though. A <laughs> um, couple of community highlights again, stuff that we've been reading around. Uh, this one from Olivier Miosek. Uh, the post walks you through Azure deployment stacks 
and how to deploy what these are and how do you manage this in a landing zone with bicep a lot of useful insights here so as before you can find the links for the community highlights in the show notes toby what did you have on the highlights so i found one that's that's also interesting uh, by harun legos um called should you migrate to fabric so there's a lot of talk about fabric these days and this is a post that kind of brings up the opinionated strengths and weaknesses of fabric that you can consider so um, if if you're thinking about fabric if you're looking at it if you're wondering should i get there what is it this might be a beneficial post just to uh, get a high level view of some of the benefits and, and drawbacks of uh, going to fabric I really need to read this because just yesterday I was in a discussion. We were talking about Power BI, a project on Power BI. And I said, yes, part of Power Platform. And somebody said, no, no, it's part of Microsoft Fabric now. I'm like, mm, yeah, maybe, but but yes and no. So that's an interesting topic. We need to have a couple of more guests on, on Fabric in the future. So today's episode is about PIM, PAM, and PAW. What and how in Azure, what are these? So I often bump into these acronyms in projects and in hallway discussions, PIM, PAM, PAW, what, which one do you use? Are they needed? And, and we thought, let's do an overview on the concepts and how do you achieve these capabilities, if you will, in Azure? What's required and what sort of things should you consider? So, so Toby, I know you've done a lot of deep dives into all things security as well and pim pam and paw relate heavily obviously to security so how's your exposure in the past and 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 in modern days to any of these yeah uh, that's a good question like in the past uh, i think i have some some long stories about how this used to work before we had privileged access or, or privileged identity management really pim but now in, in Azure, we have Azure Privileged Identity Management or Azure PIM um, that I did use quite a bit, like when you need to elevate your um, credentials just in time. So, for example, you don't want to be, if you're a global administrator, you don't want to use that account whenever you go in and do something. You only want to access that credential. You only want to have that elevated access in a specific time window. And Privileged Identity Management is great for that. So then you get the kind of just-in-time access to, for example, the global admin or, or a specific user admin role, whatever it might be. Um, and this also helps you with least privileges. And we talk about that. We've touched on zero trust many times. We talk about least privilege and, you know, assume breach, all these things. Like, don't have credentials you don't need at any time. So PIM helps you with that. Can kind of help you reduce the risk of, uh, you know, others gaining access. So if someone does get access to an account for whatever reason and however they do, if that's not PIM enabled or if it's not elevated just in time, they're still not getting your global admin credentials. Uh, so just one step in the right direction of uh, securing uh, your perimeter. And as we've also talked about many times, the new kind of perimeter security for any organization is identity. So this is of the utmost highest importance. Uh, but that's kind of it. I don't have a lot of experience with privileged access man management or privileged access workstations, PAW. I don't have a lot of experience with that, so I'm happy to uh, to dive into that today. Uh, so what, what's your exposure to this? So for me, PIM and PAM are, are probably 
the typical bits that I encounter in projects, either as, yeah, we need to set this up, or they're fully missing and we, we need to figure out how to achieve this, or something exists already and we sort of need to ramp up on that one and start using it. So, so for PIM, when it was uh, initially announced, this was years ago, I figured, okay, this is the this is the killer feature for security. Everyone should deploy this. But I'm not really seeing the Azure-specific PIM implementation, privileged identity management. I'm not really seeing that as something that would be enabled by default. So let's talk about that in more depth in a, in a second. For PAM, privileged access management, I feel it's more of a security practice as opposed to a specific feature. So while PIM is a capability with a license requirement and specific features, PAM is more about do you enforce least privileged policies? Do you provide just-in-time access to specific resources? Do you manage and control those roles and that access? Do you use role-based access control? So it's a little bit more fluffier as a topic, and it's hard to quantify if a given organization has PAM in place. Because if you ask, are you managing your roles? Are you enforcing least privileged access to Azure or Microsoft 365? Everybody goes, yes, yes, we are. And then you log in to Entra ID portal, you click on global admins, there's 27 global admins. And I'm like, well, yeah, how are you enforcing this? Well, they asked and we gave them the permission, so we enforced that. <laughs> no, that's not really how it works. So PIM is fairly trivial, obviously in a, in a large enterprise, nothing is trivial. PAM as opposed is, is harder to define what it means. Would you, would you agree on, on this sort of uh, comparison with these two? Yeah, I think it resonates quite a bit. So uh, like the takeaway for me here is, is PIM, that's a capability that you can enable. And you can say, hey, I want to enable PIM and this is how it's going to work. And, and here's, you know, all the kind of variables around it. And PAM is a, a practice or a process or a routine that PIM can enable. So with PIM, you can achieve some of the privileged access management as well. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of the extent of my uh, my thoughts and considerations on that. Yeah, okay. So then then we have PAW, Privileged Access Workstation. And and the idea with this is that it's it's not a jump server because a jump server is a jump server. And, and we had those before the cloud. You would set up one virtual machine or even one physical box. You would RDP or SSH or Telnet back in the days to that one. And for that jump box's IP address, you would have punched holes in the firewall to access a customer environment or open a VPN and whatnot. The idea with PAW is that it's a dedicated device uh, to perform specific administrative tasks that require elevated roles or access to sensitive data and systems. So instead of me using my laptop to connect with a customer environment, I'm using PAW, highly secured virtual machine typically in Azure, which then enforces certain security related policies and only then allows me to connect with customer organizations and customer environments. And PAW is not something either 
that you can readily get from Azure by clicking provision, paw, next, 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 reboot, and then you're done. No, no, it's something you have to design and implement and figure out how you want to create this. PIM, that's a product. It has a license. PAM and PAW are things you build based on the requirements of your organization. Yeah, and, and for PAW, um, I think this is this is something that you can achieve in, in different ways. Like uh, um, these days you have AVD or Azure Virtual Desktops and you can secure them. And back in the day before that existed, we had cloud VMs or VMs in, in Azure. Uh, but you could still enable like private links and disable uh, public access to them and lock them down and then also have just-in-time access, which was then enabled by PIM. So like the idea uh, or the process or the organizational boundaries and regulations, whatever you want to call it, that you have uh, for PAW or privileged access workstations could be implemented in, in various ways. And, and we used to do that and securing the, the network, you had to get on a VPN or you had to get on a tunnel uh, to your Azure subnet, to the VNets uh, that you had running in, in a specific resource group as an example. And in there you had the, the privileged kind of workstation uh, that did have admin access uh, to specific things in your organization. But to get there, you had to be on the right network first. Then you had, had to be signed in with an admin account, but that was not enabled until you requested PIM access which was then approved, and then you got temporary admin access for the admin account to log into that account and perform whatever tasks you needed to do. Um, so I think that there's been various ways to do this over the years, just like you mentioned. And I think in Azure, you can also do this in, in several different ways. And, and today you had these Azure Virtual Desktops or AVDs. Um, I think you mentioned, did you mention Remote Desktop Services, RDS? You can use it using those as well. So there's a bunch of different things, um, but I think the key takeaway is it's not, like you said, it's not a service. You don't click a button and you get this provision. It's it's an idea, it's a process, it's a methodology to think around if I want to achieve privileged access workstations, if I want to achieve this type of security, I need to start thinking about that and I need to implement it using whatever tools exist already in the cloud natively or use some kind of third-party tool for that. Precisely. and. If somebody's listening on this and thinking, well, Paul, that sounds an awful lot like Azure Bastion host. Yeah, it does, but I don't think a Bastion host typically is what you would consider a Paul. Bastion host is a jump server. It's a virtualized jump server that Microsoft maintains for you. As opposed to a Paul, it typically requires a bit more. It requires more security layers around that. Obviously, you can build some of those in, uh, in, in in Bastion host as well. But then it requires a bit more monitoring and control on how you achieve those security requirements. And and once you have access to the PAW, you typically need a way or or a model to to get credentials and secrets that you need in order to continue to a different environment, like a customer environment. So in a high security environment, typically you need all these three. You need PIM, PAM, and PAW. And when we think about perhaps the business aspects here, before we get to the actual technology, how do you enable and build this? The business aspects, 
how I often encounter this is that somebody who does not work in security, but is perhaps worried about that or represents a business side of an enterprise goes, yes, we need Pim Pam and Paul. But <laughs> it's it's just like a Lego block. Yes, we have Paul. Done. Continuing, moving on. And somebody working in security go, yeah, but how specifically do we do Paul and what specific systems should it control? Or is it just this one VM we connect to and that allows access to every place? Any any additional thoughts on on the business aspect? Yeah. Um, so as you know, I really like to reason around the business justifications, use cases, really the why, not just the what and the how, because the what's and the how we just talked about, well, you have these things, but why do you need them? Um, so I think there's there's a lot of angles to that. And I think we both know people who work full time only with identity management, right? So there are people working with this full time. There There's entire teams working only on identity, right? So it's a pretty big thing in, in big enterprises. So looking at like the business justification and, and the business angles, um, you know, one thing is you have big dynamic environments. So you have like in the cloud, you have environments that are highly dynamic with resources being just created and destroyed all the time. So proper management of privileged access, that's crucial to maintaining security of those resources. And this is not something that you easily can do at scale uh, because the scale of cloud environments, that often surpasses traditional kind of on-prem setups, making manual management very impractical. Because on-prem, it was usually, hey, let's provision this thing or let's set this server up or this device up and go and, and deploy to, to this individual. In the cloud, it's click-a-click, done, or automated, bam, you have a new environment up and running. How do you secure that? So that's why automated PAM and PIM solutions are really important because that can handle that complexity. So dynamic environments and environments at scale, uh, this is a good justification to start thinking about these things because it will not be possible. If you have 10,000 or 100,000 VMs um, or, or remote desktops or Azure virtual desktops, whatever it might be, you have a couple of thousand of those that you deploy to your to your folks in, in the organization, you're not going to be able to manage all of that manually. You need automation. So the other, like talking about business compliance and, and business justifications around compliance, uh, one of my favorite topics, like many organizations, they must adhere to very strict compliance standards. Like you have GDPR, you have HIPAA, you have ISO 27001, you have uh, SOC 2, Type 2, you know, whatever it might be. And, and that kind of requires the companies to maintain a very strict control for who has access to what data and resources. So again, if you have an admin device or a device that can access admin resources, that needs to be locked down specifically with specific methods and you need to be able to prove that. With this, you can. Otherwise, it's just you putting on paper saying, ah, no, we don't allow anyone to access this device, but this way you can actually prove it. So for the compliance aspect, it's crucial. Uh, for remote work, which is very popular these days. You have like in your cloud setups, you have privileged users that often work remotely. So a global admin is no longer someone sitting in the data center on-prem somewhere, you know, connected with a wire. Usually the global admin today is also working remotely, right? So secure access solutions are required to ensure that remote work does not compromise security. And I think we're in the forefront there, especially Microsoft and all the capabilities that just keeps happening in Azure. You have all the tools necessary for this, but it's important to think about. So if you have a remote workforce, especially if your admins are remote, this is super important to think about. 
Um, another thing is like third-party stuff. Uh, cloud environments often can involve multiple third-party services. So PAM and PIM can ensure that third parties does not kind of misuse or mishandle privileged access by kind of enforcing those policies and rules. And also the attack surface, as we come back to every time we talk about security or, or zero trust or anything like that, cloud environments also kind of often expose more services to the internet because it's remotely connected. You have remote workers, you need to access things. Uh, and that also increases the attack surface. So strong access controls are crucial to minimize the risks. Uh, and, and you can also achieve that using PIM, PAM, and PAW. So um, yeah, those are uh, top of mind, a couple of considerations on why this would be interesting and like the business justification for why anyone should start looking into this. It's not just a cool thing to enable and say, okay, we've got PIM. Uh, there's a lot of work behind it and there's a lot of considerations to take, especially for me then, you know, loving compliance and worked a bit with compliance. That for me, that is 100% justified. If you ever have done a, a full audit with a customer saying, okay, you need to prove how you handle all the customer data. You know, I've been through those audits many times. And if you can just point to, hey, you know what, we're compliant with this standard and that's proven like this. And for access management, bam, this is how we do it. And, and here's the proof. A lot easier. So and a lot of things to think about, but those are, I think, my top of mind. I, I really like the thinking here. So this is not just a technical exercise in, in enabling capabilities, spinning up a VM as PAW and saying, yes, we are secure now. Uh, I was bitten by this a little bit in my own company. So I have somebody who enforces security throughout our services. And I was at a home, I needed to check something from the company teams. So there was a file stored in a team's team, I needed to open that. And I'm on a corporate managed device myself at home. I open teams in a, in a browser because my teams is typically in a, in a different tenant. I open teams in a browser and type teams, Microsoft.com, presenter, it asks for authentication and says, yeah, you don't have access to this one. You have a managed device, but you have a non-sanctioned application trying to access because I'm using Firefox and we enforce Edge for specific stuff and specific reasons. I was like, okay, this is blocking me, but this is actually enforcing me to do the right thing, to switch to Edge and, and consider this differently or switch to Teams, which is fully managed as well. Uh, so obviously there's third-party solutions also for PIM and PAM and PAW. You could go and, and see what's out there. Some of these have amazing capabilities like if you elevate your privileges to a SharePoint admin, for example, it will start recording all of your activity on a PAW workstation, and it will log everything. It will record your mouse movements, all of that. And none of these PIM, PAM, and PAW that you can spin up from Azure natively have these sort of deep controls to configure stuff. So, so that's typically when you start looking at a third-party solution, if you have this very specific high security requirements, not to say that PIMPAM and PAW in Azure are not high secure, but they do lack some of these more fine-grained controls, if you will. Yeah, I, I like this. Uh, so imagine we're, we're native to Azure, we're, we're doing things here, and I want to start using 
um, you know, to enable all these different scenarios. What is that going to cost me? How much is going to set me back to start doing this? Because I know different security capabilities and identity capabilities come at different kind of licenses. So, um, what do we know around licensing for these things? So licensing is one of my favorite topics these days. And the reason <laughs> for this is that what I typically do when I feel that, well, there's going to be a question of licensing perhaps, is, is I try to download all of the data available for a given product, because that typically includes at least a passing mention of license requirements. So that's what I did. When I was preparing for this episode, I downloaded all the wisdom from Microsoft Learn for PIM, Azure PIM. And that's a single PDF. I don't know how many hundreds of pages it is, but it's a lot. And then I crack open the documents in Azure OpenAI. I have a private chat GPT instance. I crack it open with Azure Cognitive Search and Document Intelligence. I upload the, 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 the vectors it's finding, and then I'm searching against those with Azure OpenAI again. And my simple question is, what license do I need for Azure PIM? And presto, in two seconds, you need Microsoft Entra ID Premium P2 license. So this used to be called Azure ID Premium P2 license for the person managing PIM. And additionally, any users who are in the scope of PIM who will be requesting privileged access to be elevated for that, that permission, they need either the Premium P1 or Premium P2 license. That's right. essentially it. And, and if this is incorrect, I am blaming generative AI for this. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, and, and I think it it's, should be fairly easy to check that out. And so do I understand the, the approach here is you don't need to have premium P1 or P2 for everyone in your organization, but if you do enable specific areas of your workforce, uh, if you delegate this to uh, power users and uh, admins, for example, and and anyone working remotely, whatever kind of delegation you do on uh, on this, those are the ones that needs to be licensed. So if you're 100,000 employees, but there's only 250 people that requires this type of access, that's only what you pay for, or that's that's where you need to kind of elevate the license for those users. Exactly. But then looking at the enterprises, let's say we have an enterprise of 10,000 employees, typically what that sort of an enterprise would have would have a Microsoft 365 E3 license, which brings the premium P1 license for you. But then they often yeah. purchase the security add-on, which again brings some capabilities of premium P2 license, typically including PIM as well. So they would have, would have licensed all employees already, even if not just specifically considering PIM, but probably for conditional access and, and additional capabilities for device management and whatnot. But PIM is a nice little bonus in there when you go for P1 or P2 license. Yeah, this is why this was my most dreaded question when I was in consultants back in the day. It's like, what license do I need for whatever? I, I have no idea. Exactly what you said. Well, you need a P2 license to manage it. You're going to need P1 or P2 for anyone in scope. But you also get some of those if you have the E3 or any other of these specific ones. So I think that's the the trick. It's easier today, but like a couple of years back, this was a real nightmare to try and figure out. Um, so I'm glad I don't work in licensing. Uh, I'm glad there's a simple answer today. 
Um, so it's, it does sound like any enterprise just kind of can roll this out and, and start using it. Any smaller company needs to maybe look into, do you have an E3 license or whatever? Does it come with that? If not, you can just get the, the P2 license for whoever's going to manage it and the P1 or P2 for, for anyone who's going to be part of you know, the delegated uh, PMAXs. One of the things that I'm, I'm looking at this week, later, later this week, is if you have PIM requirements, you have a couple of P2 licenses, you have 10 P1 licenses for your users, all good. But then you introduce another Entra ID tenant for whatever reasons, for, for uh, restricting access for certain capabilities or for regulations and whatnot. And in there, you do not have a premium licensing schema. But then you add users from there, invite those users as guests to your primary tenant. Do they then need a separate P1 license or do they need double license? At least they need some license because now they're guest users, but they're sort of part of the same company. So there's no easy answers when you, when you go to these exotic scenarios. But in a typical setup, a single tenant, P2 license for admins, P1 license for users, that should be enough. Uh, for building Paw, let's not go too deep into this one because this relies quite a bit on, on specific requirements. But the platforms for building Paw privileged access workstation is virtual machines that you spin up yourself, Azure Virtual Desktop, as you already mentioned. Uh, you could use remote desktop services, so typically VM with RDS enabled. Or even you could use Windows 365. I think we did an episode on that 175 episodes ago or so. So Windows 365 is based on AVD, but it it won't allow as much configuration. So it's it's more automatically maintained. And then whichever you choose to go for, you need to secure it. You really need to lock it down. So restrict access, use conditional access enforce a phishing resistant strong factor like a FIDO2 key and use NSGs for restricting traffic, use role-based access control. All the typical security controls you have in Azure, you really have to put them in here. Everything has to be encrypted and so on. And one fancy thing that I like doing here is once it's built, the VM or the image is to take a snapshot of that one and then automate the restoration of that snapshot back to the original one after every day or after every week. So whatever is done within the VM gets removed when you always go back to the original snapshot. So that keeps your paw in original state while still allowing usage for that and having temporary files in there, but they get lost, let's say, every 12 hours. Yeah. Any think, any any thoughts on this one? Not a lot. I don't have experience in in building these solutions other than what I mentioned before like back in the day we we used um you know secured networks uh, you had to VPN VPN uh, or or tunnel your way in and, you know these days you can use bastion um as mentioned but um otherwise private links you had to secure your vnets and allowing only specific access from specific kind of tunnels and then from there also enabling PIM, um, which 
also comes with all the things you mentioned, conditional access and, and MFA and all these things um, kind of enforced inherently. So I, I don't have anything to add there. I think it sounds like uh, a variable for each organization to consider. It's it's a discussion, just like zero trust. It's a mentality. It's a framework. It's a, an ideology. It's about understanding what to secure and how to secure it. And then how you specifically do that for your organization is going to differ because uh, you're going to have different variables. You're going to have different setup. You're going to have different devices. You're going to have different work locations. You're going to have different types of workloads running. Um, so I think the, these are some some good reflections. Good stuff. All righty. I, I think we've exhausted our thinking on Pim, Pam and Paul. Hopefully we've we've sort of sold the idea that you really need to look into PIM primarily. And then Pam and Paul are the next steps in there. Uh, the last bit, the unexpected question. Toby, I think I will be asking you, are you ready? All right, I am ready. If you had to create a new holiday for people to celebrate, what would it be called and how would it be celebrated? <laughs> okay, um, so I think this is something I, I heard from some kids in school uh, when I dropped it, my, my oldest daughter off, International Pyjama Day. So I'm paraphrasing a bit. They said, hey, it would be nice to have a pyjama party. And I thought, hey, we should have International Pyjama Day. So you would celebrate the joy of comfort and laziness. So kind of in a world where everyone's always rushing from one place to another, like we do in, in our everyday lives, uh, it would be kind of great to have a holiday that encourages you to do absolutely nothing in the coziest way possible and and to celebrate that. Because um, a lot of the time, people feel like I'm just on the couch Netflixing. I should be doing something productive. I mean, that's me in a nutshell. I always want to do something productive, which makes me happy, you know, granted. So, um, so attire, of course, entirely your choice. I wear a dress shirt for most occasions, even when I mow the lawn. Uh, and that's also my go-to for my lazy days. If pajamas is your thing, you know, that'd be a great option for the International Pajama Day. But just a day to celebrate doing nothing, just be lazy, have some potato chips in the couch, whatever you want. Uh, you know, once a year, just take the time to relax and reflect on doing nothing and the importance of that, which, you know, if we want to make this really long winded, we could. But it also can tie into mental mental health and being rested, because one of the things I find very much mindfulness in is exactly those moments where you just chill. You chill down, watch a series on Netflix, do nothing, sit in the couch, no additional thoughts about anything. Just watch some kind of brain dead sci-fi or whatever. Um, so yeah, that would be my answer. That sounds like a typical weekend for used to when he was 22 years old, <laughs> but, <laughs> but not, not nowadays anymore. All righty. Thanks, and thanks for joining us. See you next week. All right, see you then.